All the Rage with John Bowd on www.tracksfm.org. Uh, welcome, welcome to John Bowd's All the Rage. Uh, we took a break last week, we were knackered. Not so much going on. Um, uh, I don't even know what we're talk- going to talk about today, um, but I must say it's something worth talking about, John. As we go blindly live on here. Yes. I haven't got a Scooby what you're going to talk... Actually, you can no. talk about any... You could talk about porn and Barry White impersonations, couldn't you? That's a good idea. <laughs> or, or porn impersonations in Barry... You know, Barry White impersonations within porn. How 70s. There must be a porn for that somewhere. I mean, there's a porn for everything. <laughs> that sounds like a 70s American sitcom, doesn't it? It does. You know, you get a family, like they do an ethnic minority family. I think good times, and you'll always get a brother that speaks like Barry White or someone. A funny brother. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. I don't What was that one? one Why you on sitcoms, just briefly, something was highlighted to me. There's one that's actually on uh, Netflix, and uh, I'll be down to I can remember the name, but it's one from the 90s about two sisters. I think they get they get split up at birth or something, and they're teenagers, and they find each other, you know. Sister, sister. Anyway. That might be it, sister, sister. Yeah, I still I like that, right. actually. I oh well, like so that. apparently there's an episode where um, the mother of one rows with the father or the uncle because he wants to. He's talking about the supermarket he works in, and he wants to shut the workers out for striking. And she's like, "In this house, we support unions." Oh, and really? like, wow, this is like a mid mid nineties American sitcoms. Like, where did that come from? Sweet. Yeah, well, Clinton must have been in charge then. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mandatory Minimums. Anyway. Uh, check it away, John. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so first up, uh, shout out to Amazon workers in Coventry who today have taken their first strike action against the pathetic 50p pay rise that they were given. Another real terms pay cut, of course. That's that's what works out with inflation. Even if you don't understand the numbers, that's much you need to know. There's also been another Amazon union victory on the other side of the Atlantic at the warehouse in Staten Island, which have been... Their strike action, uh, their founding of a union rather has been upheld by the Federal Labour Board. Uh, that's the one where Chris Smalls worked, if you, you probably know it from his uh, various media appearances. Um, famously, the generous and benevolent boss, Joe, Jeff Bezos, has naturally tried to get the result of last April's election overturned, but he's failed yet again because he always will. Get on your rocket and piss off and don't come back. Um, yeah, and also, yeah, just quick apology. I know we normally update Facebook with the description. I got kind of over-involved in it this week and I forgot to put the description up, but um, I dropped a little something on the show's Twitter page today. Uh, anyway, yes, we're going to talk about uh, and a few things around the anti-strike laws. Now, no doubt listeners are familiar with the latest attempt to remove workers' rights from people in this country specifically the public sector, where many industries and services are facing deep problems. Rather than try to deal with the problems, or in our NHS, or stand aside while management and unions find agreement on the trains, the Conservatives want to force people to work through their democratically voted strike actions. The proposals are uh, anti-worker in the extreme, like all the response of this vile and incapable government to the main problems facing the country. Rather than deal with it, they just want to punish the people who are daring to fight back against them. In short, this is nothing more than another vicious attack on workers in the shape of a distraction because the Tories are running the country into the ground and don't know how to do anything else. The most contentious part of the anti-strike bill for the wider public, however, is the proposals around minimum service levels. 
both Grant Shapps and the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak have stood in Parliament and claimed these laws will put Britain in the same places as Spain, France and even Ireland as far as minimum services uh, uh, provision are concerned. But this is not accurate. It is not, as Shapps claimed, in line with the minimum service level specified by the International Labour Organization. The ILO does not support minimum service levels. International law, in fact, supports the positive right to strike as per the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The ILO, in fact, says all working agreements should be collectively agreed between employer and union. If agreement cannot be reached, then it must go to an independent body, such as a court. Or if you're familiar with the system in this country, it would be an organisation like ACAS. Coming to countries that Sunak and a company are talking about, uh, Italy, Spain, Germany, France. These countries have nothing like the laws being proposed here in Britain. France does not generally allow for minimum service provisions in teaching or transport, for instance. Most unions here are also able to give 48 hours notice of strike action on a, or a maximum of, of five days. All countries around Western Europe have high levels of collective bargaining, but all these countries also have better methods around achieving fair pay. They would not get away with cutting pay during a period of huge economic downturn like we are experiencing here, for instance. So a higher level of wage setting also makes all the difference right now. Germany does ban civil servants, And we have these uh, security services in many countries also prevented from striking the military, the police, etc. But due to their comparative better attitude towards workers, they have lower strike levels too. Meanwhile, the French have higher disposable income and work less hours. They have lower levels of inequality, plus a united working class that takes to the streets when the mere mention of raising the pension age takes place. In the UK, four days' notice is required to officially declare strike act. Four, sorry, 14 days. You fucking idiot. I can't believe I miswrote that one. I just read that and I just went, this sentence better not end the way I think it does because I've misspelled. No, that is. I'll start that again. In the UK, 14 days' notice is required to officially declare strike action, whilst workers in France can declare strike action, as I mentioned, 48 hours in advance. In Italy, 10 days' notice is required before strike action in the public services, and this cannot be called off unless there is a major breakthrough in negotiations. In Spain, if the strike affects companies in charge of public services, 10 days' notice must be given. Also, the minimum service legislation in France has never been deployed in relation to transport strikes. Next, the new laws say that if workers do not work as instructed on strike days, they can be sacked or the employer can take legal action against the union that would involve suing them into bankruptcy. Also not something they do in the rest of Europe. Also, let us not forget the most vital difference between the minimum service laws in these and other European countries and this one. In France, Italy and Spain, participating in a strike does not lead to being fired. However, the proposed UK anti-strike legislation will require trade unions to follow it, as well as allowing employers to prevent the strike from taking place, seek damages afterwards if unions do not meet their obligations, and dismiss workers who refuse to comply with minimum service levels during industrial action. There is no situation in the countries mentioned in which the government intervenes with legislation to lose your job over strike action. For example, a hospital would decide what consequences might follow, but not the government. It's not their business to intervene here. What the British government is proposing is, in fact, completely at odds with international law. But one other question we really need to ask is why Britain hates its own working class so much. 
This country seems unique in not only the ruling class cruelty that the masses are subjected to, but in our willingness to put up with it and in fact celebrate these work-shy scalping of privileged parasites who rule over us and tell us all that we're worthless. Not even sure we can fit into the show tonight, you know, everything that needs to be said about that, but I really am uniquely interested in why Britain hates its own working class so much. It's... uh, a truly bizarre place to, to, to have to find ourselves, really. Anyway, um, what we really need to change all of this is working class unity. Now, there is no great surprise to hear this said uh, on this show, but saying it is the easy part. What does it actually look like? Well, this is about not just one union striking here and there, or even many going out on one day altogether, as effective as that can be in certain circumstances. But this is about a focus that grows from trade unions, but into working, starting with sort of unions if you have one, but growing into our working lives and therefore our whole lives in other ways, regardless of specific employment, union membership, or industry. In turn, this then needs to feed into mass social protests where such things can be most effective. Calls for a general strike are traditionally unrealistic and ill-defined, but what would be more realistic is the willingness and energy to keep up all forms of resistance and push things forward with a very strong set of goals in mind. Recently, there have been large protests in France over the plans by Emmanuel Macron to raise the pension age. This unwarranted action has been met with large-scale resistance by working-class French people. The union CGT have threatened to cut off electricity supplies to lawmakers and billionaires who are responsible for the attempts to raise the pension age by two years, or just greedy bastards like the billionaires. Philippe Martinez, leader of the CGT union, France's second largest trade union, told France uh, France 2 television channel, quote, it would be good if we cut off their electricity so that they can put themselves for a few days in the shoes of French people who can't afford to pay their bill, end quote. This was announced ahead of a nationwide strike action. This action went across sectors from primary school teachers to oil refinery workers, among others. The other day, there were an estimated 2 million people taking action across France against this worthless neoliberalism of Macron, who so far in his tenure seems to have only helped grow the position of the far right. It is also worth noting that France has been trying to reform, that is, make worse, their pension system and an equally long history of resistance from workers against this. So what we need up front is a set of beliefs, uh, aims, in fact, that are not to be compromised under any circumstances. That's the sort of thing we need to unite around, and that's the kind of thing that will ultimately get us where we need to go. One aspect of the present attacks on the working class in Britain is the Tory government claiming that minimum levels of standards need to be met. In the NHS, for instance, with access at the point of need, or in the waiting times for an ambulance. The problem with this is standards have failed during non-strike periods, which is one of the reasons for the strike action in the first place. In fact, the standards are so desperately low that uh, it's got to the point of a complete crisis. Again, a crisis that they are not addressing because they're too busy kicking workers in the balls for daring to stand up and point these things out and actually want to do something about it. The Royal College of Nursing have not taken strike action in their 106-year existence until now. Yet, due to pay so low that they are not able to take care of themselves after doing some of the hardest and most important work in the world, they have finally been pushed to the point of needing to take this action for their own needs, for the sake of saving the service that is being destroyed before our very own eyes. They're doing it for you and me. 
This is happening because of the hard right economic dogma of the Conservatives, right now literally led by a banker. The result of the continual failure of neoliberalism and no action from government nor the opposition to address this. The Conservatives do not believe in the NHS. In fact, they hate it. The last great institution of post-war socialism in Britain and the most effective. They want it to fail and for their friends in private healthcare to swoop in and pick it all up with the side benefit of their share price rising as many Tories have shares in most of the private healthcare companies. So they'll be getting some money from that rather than doing any real work. They refuse to get, engage with NHS workers as they have intention, a similar way they've, they've intentionally stifled any deal between the RMT and the train companies because they can't bear the sight of collective working class action actually winning. Of course, it hasn't actually stopped that collective working class action carrying on and so far winning quite substantially. The Tories cannot bear for workers to be seen winning and they will follow this extreme status right off a cliff, in fact, which of course they will manage to get out of while the rest of us plunge to our doom. Same old shit from them. Now, let's have a look at another example of a fatally failing system in the, the present state of the country, and that is housing. Right now, we're facing a very cold winter in the middle of a cost of greed crisis. Many poorer, disabled and older people are not able to afford the rise in the cost of heating, a rise brought on by the greed of energy companies rather than any war or any such activity that they are trying to blame the rise in prices on. In fact, gas prices have gone down, but your bills have not done so accordingly. There are increasing reports, in fact, of the likelihood that the most vulnerable could possibly freeze to death in their homes. Now, this is not something to be taken lightly or nor something to be overdramatic about. So we need to look at it in a better level of detail. So far, civil society has responded to this by opening warm banks in public places like libraries, or at least the ones that the Tories left open, and places of worship. But this is a brutal result of 12 years of conservative rule with nothing but austerity in mind. They are failing to deliver the basic human right of warmth. The NHS has recorded a higher number of deaths than is usual for this time of year. Analysis has shown the increase in living without heating in our homes has contributed strongly to this number. The data from January 2021 to March 2022 shows that 45 people a day died as a result of living in a cold home during the winter. And this was when energy bills were half of what they are right now. The small amount of data collected for December 2022 so far shows numbers already going up around 36%, according to ITV News. They crunched all the numbers on this and did a report all about it. Elderly people and those with certain health conditions need the heating on more, and it is crucial to meet the healthy temperature level of at least 18 degrees for folks like this, as below this level can cause sickness. Most of those not turning their heating up report fear that the cost of the bills is going to break them. There is also structural issues, such as failures to property, properly insulate homes, but again, this comes down to prioritisation, which is not for the Tories and the political status quo, the infrastructure that rules much of our lives, one way or another. That's the houses we live in, that's the jobs that we do, that's the services that we uh, access, that's the, you know, I could go on. Britain's housing stock is some of the oldest in Europe and it's not fit for purpose. It's crumbling and un uninsulated. It is owned by landlords who do not care about the state of their properties nor the effects on their tenants. Now, Harrow recently made national news, uh, in The Guardian at least, 
as council inspectors are on the hunt for landlords letting properties with mould, dangerous levels of carbon monoxide and illegal overcrowding. These properties are in disarray at best. They lack smoke alarms and other such vital health and safety requirements. Uh, Electrical wires are exposed, unchecked gas boilers uh, uh, and heaters are in use all over the place, that kind of thing. Uh, Plus the aforementioned overcrowding, which always makes those situations far more dangerous. The newspaper reports parents sharing beds with their children because there's no room otherwise. Uh, This situation is categorised as a Category 1, serious and immediate risk to a person's health and safety. So yes, just think about that. So uh, that's a situation whereby it is so severe that uh, you could be in imminent risk to your health and safety simply by being in the place you might call home, simply by being in the place which provides you with, with shelter from the elements. Then there is a price for such a wondrous abode, £1,200 a month. Rooms in unlicensed houses of multiple occupation, that's HMOs, rent goes from 600 a month to 1,000 if they have an ensuite bathroom. Just, if you see some of these shitholes, just the very idea of using a term like ensuite bathroom is uh, a bit of a, a, a sick and, and twisted joke at best. The paper reports how the council employees basically had to hunt around the area looking for the landlord in question so that they could issue an enforcement notice. Harrow requires landlords to be licensed and failure to do so can result in a fine of £5,000. In 2021, 3.4 million homes in England failed to meet the government's decent home standard, which is equivalent to 14% rising to almost one in four private rented homes. 2.2 million homes feature at least one category of hazards and complaints have been rising in the Harrow area. So this, what we're talking about here is a front line of a nationwide housing safety crisis. Recently, the story of uh, two-year-old Arwab Aishak from Rochdale hit the headlines after he died from respiratory failure caused by chronic mould. That was not treated by the landlord, unsurprisingly, and this is not the only story of children suffering health damage from poor housing. And uh, I think this country, if we get time to talk about the other story, there's been a couple of stories, this being one of them, which has shown just how little this country actually cares about children, even though many of them are the first to start uh, whining self-righteously about their their cares for the sake of the safety of children. Uh, Mould also gets worse in cold weather, and of course, heating has become unaffordable for so many, and it is too cold to open windows all of the time in order to help some of the drying. The rules on mould will be reviewed by ministers as a result of this death. Whoopee for you. More than 170,000 people have signed a petition calling for AWAB's law, giving landlords 14 days to carry out inspections on damp and mould and seven days to start repairs if a medical professional deems that it is a health risk. Uh, sounds good. I, I don't know how we would, would manage that under the present criteria of everything you know falling apart, but there's definitely something we should look at going forward. As progressives, we are here naturally to make things actually as much better as we can. We must at all times, however, resist the normalisation of this sort of thing. We cannot allow people to wallow in such terrible conditions. It must be faced, and anyone experiencing such conditions, or where you know of them, please report these to your local council as soon as you possibly can. If you're having trouble contacting your local council, there's various advice I think can be given to you at places like um, Citizens Advice Bureau, things like that. There has been some success already. Uh, Vispas Sakari from Harrow 
has been ordered as far back as 2018 to pay back the money earned over several years from dozens of tenants after he was found guilty of flouting planning rules by converting properties across North London into smaller bedsits without permission and ignoring enforcement notices. He was charged £1.5 million in penalties or facing up to nine years in jail. He had previously been fined for letting out a four-bedroom semi-detached house in Wembley to 27 people. Uh, these are not his only convictions either. Uh, quite a disgrace uh, he is, even even uh, by landlord standards. Uh, it's quite disgusting that he's actually even managed to become a landlord. Uh, he subdivided suburban homes into what council officials described as substandard box room bedsits, in which whole families would live paying hundreds of pounds per month in rent, often coming from the public purse through housing benefit. You would think someone in the legal world would want to prevent this arsehole from owning and renting out any property, uh, what you might call a frequent offender. So, um, in conclusion to tonight's main subject, I've got uh, a a series of things I want to talk about. But before I do that, uh, before I go jump into conclusion, uh, Dave, do you want to feedback on some of that? I think everything you said is a, a terrible indictment on where we are as a society. I think everything in regards to renters' rights, um, workers' rights. Um, If we think that we've progressed as a society morally and socially, um, we've actually gone backwards. Um, To be honest, you might as well put us back to the um, Great Fire of London. I've said this many times, where the houses were built of wood, um and then the great fire and society or administration had a moral compass where they even stopped building houses with wood but it turns out Grenfell that wasn't the case and both all governments blamed each other for council spending and so forth um and they talk about um Keeping essential services. Listen, if we're going to if we're going to be nationalistic and wave the British flag, um, World War Two was a disruption. World War Two was a disruption. They were throwing bombs at our heads, and um, we, you know, we all got through it. You know, um, and we've had many things that we go through, but at a time like this, uh, for someone to blame or hide behind essential services and say, well, we need this. What that will do is eventually drip through to no one taking industrial action and putting up with poverty, low inflation wages, uh, bringing us all to the poverty line, and the poverty line is getting closer and closer to all of us. And if it's not, you will know someone that it does. Mm. And in regards to renters' rights, that will um, rights that will erode away more because you just won't be afforded to get a mortgage. And I'm really happy for you if you've got a mortgage, but don't, don't judge others. And I'm sorry if uh, industrial action disrupts your day. I'm really sorry, but as I said, there's worse things as that happened in this country, and we got through it. Uh, so don't talk about a day or two, you know, disrupting your lives or something. You know, I'm sorry, I just you know. And don't ever say to me, how are we going to pay for it? You know, because that just annoys John. John? (laughs) 
Yeah, well, firstly, I mean, addressing addressing some of those points, um, the whole idea of people talking about inconveniences, I mean, whether it's from our postal service to the healthcare service, what is planned to be done, as in the things we're all striking against, it's going to do a hell of a lot more than inconvenience you. It's basically going to destroy the heart of the actual service itself. Now, again, you know, I'm using the term the heart. Maybe that's an emotive thing. Okay, put it put it in a... I don't have a problem being emotional about that, but anyway, put it in a more rational perspective. I'm talking about the thing that it's actually supposed to do, the thing that it's up to do in the first place. So in other words, the service is going to become shite, for want of a better word. Um, and it's it's just not going to, to work. It's going to continue to fail. Now, that means, you know, you're going to see a knock-on effect to, as I say, your postal services, you're going to see a knock-on effect to your rail services, for any number of reasons. And you're going to see a tremendous amount of damage done to the healthcare service. And as I say, those reasons could be, you know, large scale in, in, in so many ways. But what that actually means on the ground is you're you're going to, among other things, going to see workers who are so battered you know and strung out from overwork they're not going to be able to to do the job properly and the service is going to fail on those bases you're going to get the minimum level at all times so there's no benefit to anyone and like you say yeah i mean you know you're you're not going to be able the, the less money you've got in the pocket the less power you've got in this society that's a sad fact of the way things are right now we all those of us in our right mind want to overthrow capitalism that's true we we're disgusted and and, and appalled by it was already pretty bad to begin with, but what it's sunk to now. But, and again, you know, it's, I mean, you're you're polite about saying that don't don't wave your flag at me. I'm, quite frankly, I'll you know you wave it at me. I'm going to shove that flag up your ass and set fire to it. I mean, it's just disgusting, truly disgusting to me. You know, if you want to have any kind of concept of patriotism, bloody well do something to make it meaningful. Otherwise, shut up. Uh, can, I just, um, can I just jump yeah. in there? So. Um, if you're listening to this on the podcast, or um, it's pointless me convincing those who are on the left and are born being born on the left. It's pointless me talking to yeah, the far right or the right or conservative or died in the wall conservative, died in the wood, died in the wall Labour supporters, because you're already convinced, and I'm not going to convince you. What I would say is, if you're young and you've never voted before, and you're always saying, "Well, we just." What can we do about it? It's all corrupt. The system's corrupt. Normally, what we used to say in the 80s is stop politicising things. What we're saying now on this show is let's politicise it. Mm. Vote. Vote. If you're fed up, vote. There's 13 million of you out there that don't vote. Uh, Just please vote. Um, There's a huge majority, and you could change things. And actually... Get involved. You're all on part-time hours. Don't con me. That's what young people are on. You've all got um, a student fees to pay. Get involved. Find out your local CLP. If you're at work, find out if there's a trade union involved. You don't have to be a trade unionist, but there's a lot of activities going on. And in fact, contact John Bowd. He will yeah. guide you to the next event. And, then, and they're, not, they're not all vegetarian and... Um, flower power and all that uh, they're normal people but they care passionately about all the things that you're going through but they're prepared to do something about it get involved john 
Yeah, well, again, you know, why is it that us hard workers uh, suddenly become greedy bastards the minute we want uh, decent paying conditions? Uh, funny that, you know, we were we were hard working during the worst parts of the pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean, that's true. I'm I'm not actually, I don't have any great uh, fetish for voting. Um, and as a show that will come up soon, I'll tell you why I think the Labour Party are unfit for government. But at the very least, I think that the point of that is to get them to, you know, smarten up their ways, get rid of the right-wing throwback scum that are leading it right now and actually be fit for government because we need somebody to do that. And I don't believe it's going to come, well, if it's going to come from anywhere, you know, it's, it's not going to come from merely the uh, the positions of any party basis other than the, the basis that that particular party has. Um, now, I know there is wider issues here about whether we need that kind of large-scale politics. In all due respect to the people that, that, that make those arguments, um, I, I see where you're coming from, but you're talking about large-scale infrastructure. This isn't about a local, you know, food justice meeting, which are very, very important things and well worth doing. But, you know, the majority of people do not want to be involved in stuff like that. They've got other things going on in their life. Maybe they actually want to, I don't know, have fun once in a while, you know, that kind of thing. They don't really want to be going to endless meetings night after night, having to arrange every minute detail of their own lives. It's very, very irritating, and, and I can understand that. So there isn't really the the, the hunger for, for that, although there's plenty of hunger in other ways. And this is actually one of the things that bothers me the most, where and I, I am very critical of volunteering in general, and that's because it's been allowed to take the place. I'm not criticizing the people who do it and I'm not criticizing their, their, uh, their aims and objectives and, and the things that motivate them. But it has become as, as was, I think predicted by many people, if you listened at the time that when the Tories started their austerity binges back in the 2010s, this is what was thought to happen. You know, I know people have set up community libraries and those community libraries are lovely, but they used to be council run libraries and they shouldn't have been shut in the first place. Now, of course, there are a lot of those libraries that have been reopened are being used as warm banks because we have the crisis of not being able to pay for your energy. Uh, now they're, they're being used as places where kids can go to do their homework, not necessarily out of choice because it's a nice place to go to, but because they live in such cramped and piss poor conditions in their homes that they don't have the ability to do things like their homework in that area. You know, yeah, there's always some the idea was, well, there'll always be somebody to come along and tidy this up for us. So we'll just throw it into the volunteer sector. Well, that's not good enough. And all I would say on that, and I'll come to this when I do my conclusions, but the volunteering aspect has to be about uh, a goal. You're not there. So this is this is a thing I've often had, and I've had some challenges with people before. Um, if you're showing up a streets kitchen to help feed homeless people on, on any given night, that's a good thing to do. But if you're doing it to make yourself feel better, if you're doing it to stroke your own ego, and you're not doing it with the aim of ending homelessness entirely and exercising a human right to have shelter for absolutely everybody, then you are there for the wrong reasons. And I don't really care how good you are at it either. I don't care how good an organiser you are. I don't care if you've convinced Wenzel's to give you every single loaf of bread and cake they've got at the end of the day. Great, that's good stuff. But you ain't here to blow yourself. You're here to actually put an end to the social, political scourge that is homelessness. If you're not there for that, you're there for the wrong reason. So we have to be 
careful in how we distribute this wonderful energy that we all have for social justice. We have to aim it in exactly the right direction. You have to keep the goals in mind. You know, our enemies are very, very good at this. Um, you know, the, the, the old joke about the left is, you know, they're always dividing and, and you know, looking for traitors. And, and to some degree, degree that's true. Uh, the right is full of people who absolutely can't stand each other too, but they know how to knuckle down and get on with it and aim for one particular goal and a lot of the time to achieve it, sometimes to truly horrendous ends. They're also very good at not giving up, actually. I, I, I'll, I'll give them that. It's, it disgusts me. Um, a good example being you know, abortion in America, which they've been trying to ban for decades and decades and never actually forgotten about. And now the bastards have pretty much achieved it. So they have that sense of, of what I'm talking about. Uh, it's the only thing they've got that's admirable and we need to steal it off them and, and use put it to good use. So, yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes when you do a show like this, it seems kind of ultimately futile to just kind of come on the mic and talk about how terrible everything is uh, i always try to, to to have something more upbeat to say too um i would i would tell more jokes but i'm not funny so i have to rely on i, I disagree on the, there, John. well okay i'm not funny in a controllable way shall we like say tommy cooper oh. yes exactly you don't tune this you don't i'm sometimes unintentionally funny <laughs> uh, but you don't tune into this show to um to actually, you know, get the comedy. That's what you... you well, uh, what's enlightening, John, and when you mentioned, because I think uh, during your show, um, there's some words that came up, and I, I was thinking, what's he talking about? Because you mentioned social mm. distancing back in 2019, and I thought, what's he talking about? And then um, at the beginning of your, at the start of your shows, you mentioned uh, two words which was becoming more and more common. It's actually in our dictionary called food banks. Now, the significant today, folks, is John mentioned two words called warm banks. And what's frightening to me, and this is a well-known fact, that we're talking about poverty, um, cost of living crisis, warm banks, people working while in poverty, which has become common now. You know, it's almost like a top 40 record. Tony Blackman's saying, you know, and here's the latest one by food banks, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. But just people be aware, the richest square mile in the world, and I'll say that again, the richest square mile in the world is in London. And I'm talking about all the wealth you could imagine and beyond is one square mile in London. Because that's the whole of the world's financial institutes. And in fact, the last year has become even more licensed for it to put that one square mile to become richer. Smack right bank, bang in the middle of London. And one square mile is the richest square mile financially in the world. So while all these words and adjectives and new things are going on, food banks, warm banks, poverty, homelessness, renters' rights, cost of living crisis one thing that's never going to be in danger is that richest one square mile in the whole of the world the richest john yeah that is the kind of very base nature of inequality right there uh, i think you're absolutely right um a well-known story of course at the moment oh, so, i mean it's, it's it's accurate there's data to back it up is 
on one side you have people you know unable to keep themselves warm and keep themselves fed and on the other side you have champagne manufacturers worrying that they're going to run out of stock because they're selling so much and there's only one place again you as dave's pointed out you can narrow this down geographically to the place where all of their product is going you know it's, it's exactly that so someone's making plenty of money right now one of the folks making plenty of money right now is no doubt the the energy companies because as the price of gas starts to go down your bills don't so once again these people have got away with a heist i mean they really are thieves you know if you can you can sneer and i think kind of dave drew do some comparison to this earlier on you can sneer at the kind of lefty green politics of things but you know another benefit of green energy is you don't have to pay these scalping fuckers any money who who continue to rob from us who continue to let your granny freeze to death and they couldn't give a damn you know it would be great to actually be energy independent if you just think about that for a minute take out any kind of stupid tabloid newspaper level of of uh sneering political agenda you've got which is by the way not remotely political anyway because it doesn't involve gaining any kind of power it isn't actually going to give you any power it's just going to make you sneer at someone who's a little bit lower down the scale than you which is going to make you feel better for another minute before you drink yourself into oblivion for another night you know it, it doesn't actually amount to anything but you know if you put all of that to one side and you can see how much you can genuinely liberate yourself, you know. And in the meantime, I mean, it's funny that we keep calling these things banks, you know, food banks, warm banks, because it makes me think, well, you know, a lot of the time it's, it's people, it's bankers we know from 2007, 2008, uh, including a good portion of the people that are running the country in the front bench, the Conservative Party right now, and there's a few in Labour too, let's not let them off, who uh, are actually responsible for much of what we're going through, certainly for the austerity agenda that Cameron, his vile ilk, brought in when they came in. So, you know, maybe we should go and sit in the actual banks. You know, we should go and set up in the banks themselves, just sit there all day, you know, take take your, your your auntie and your uncle or your granddad or your grandma up there and just kind of plop them down in, in the middle of the NatWest or whatever. Other banks are available. And uh, and just say, yeah, so basically, you know, you've been crawling uh, money out of their pocket like there's no tomorrow for their, their mortgage, et cetera, for all these years. And uh, they've paid it diligently and now they're freezing. So they're going to sit in the bank waiting area all day long to keep warm and by the way my nan's very fond of frequent cups of tea and her favorite biscuits of custard cream so you better keep them flowing or she's going to get quite moody you know just just an idea um so (laughs) yeah so but you know putting aside that kind of jokey manner i i I think that you even if you're not kind of inclined you know part of the deal here is to make you feel hopeless and you just have to resist that and i know it's hard dear god almighty it's hard i mean you know you look at the amount of drugs people are having to take you know uh, to to control their moods at the moment uh the the growth and anxiety and uh, and that kind of thing and it affects all of us it's a grim time but also you know the the harder we fight the more likely we are to win because we really are doing very well so with that in mind I'll go into my conclusion of the the main factor of, of what we talked about tonight, and then we'll see, you know, what time we've got left after that, see what else we can talk about. So my nominations for aims that we must never compromise are the following. A full renationalization of public services, end food insecurity, end homelessness, and working class power. Now, I must admit, I've picked some very easy ones, really, and they seem pretty self-explanatory, but I'll say a few words on each of them. 
Renationalization is vital now more than ever. We cannot trust the profiteers to run our services. They will break down and sell off for profit regardless of the outcome, even if that means killing your granny. The likes of Carillion or various rail companies have failed so spectacularly that we ended up bailing them out in the first place and the services that they were running too, with public funds anyway. So why not cut out the unnecessary and damaging middlemen who take money for nothing and make our lives harder? We might as well just own it ourselves. You will hear a handful of horror stories from Gen Xers and, uh, and boomers who are still very weepy about having no war, talking to you about how you know it was worse when it was in public ownership. It, by any measurable standard, was not. The rail, the healthcare system, the post, etc., etc. They have wasted pissed away, frankly, substantially more amounts of money in the time that they have been privatized. In fact, Royal Mail is a really good example because it's the most recently privatized. And folks, I am talking eye-watering sums of cash have gone into a deep, well, I say a deep black hole. That's a contradiction in terms, but just a ferociously large black hole. And uh, you would not believe the money we've seen pissed away and is done every day. But even right now, when basically you've got a management who've tried to wage war on their own workforce and still lost, you know, an utterly incompetent uh, management who have, who have wasted money on union busters and they still can't beat us because we will not be beaten. Uh, food insecurity, along with insecure access to shelter, is something that damages people's lives immeasurably and sometimes permanently. And that prevents any kind of healthy advancement. You are literally destroying people's ability to better themselves while lecturing them about how they should. Ending, ending homelessness is a fundamental human rights issue, but it also takes away another vulnerability that dominates people's lives. Uh, this links, of course, with the need to build more council housing and make it just that. No sweet deals for property speculators or landlords. No more landlords. Working class power really ties all of these things up. It is basically about giving us better power over our own lives. So we need better collaboration within our workplaces. This is where all of the agreements come from and where it always ends up anyway. It's always going to be down to you, the workforce, and them, the management. Okay, Even the management above them ultimately don't matter because they're not the ones who have to deal with all of you on a, on a daily basis. They can try all of the stuff that they're told to do by their you know, witless, dickless management further up from them, but those things uh, are never really going to work. We need to tax profits. Companies like BP or Shell, among many others, make profits far exceeding any inflation-busting pay rise, and they still have plenty left over, around £40 billion in profits, among other, among other numbers that you can find. In fact, right now, them and uh, companies in other forms of energy are making a killing from us, and in some cases, killing those unable to afford their price hikes, despite the price of gas going down, as I said earlier. We need to either take our existing groups, trade unions, community organisations, church or, or other such faith groups, whatever you like, or form new ones and we need to get involved in all social issues. Volunteer with homelessness relief, with law centres, youth centres and the like, and make sure the empowerment of all the people there is part of your agenda. Okay, make sure they know that you're from a union, the name of that union. After a while, these things make sense. You know, I, I know a vast array of, of people. I don't I don't hang out with a lot of people. I don't have a lot of friends. 
But I know a vast array of people who I've met over the years from doing these things. And every one of them, whether they like me or not, knows about the CWU, the union I'm a member of. They know what they do. And if they come on the news, you know, I often run into them and they go, oh, yeah, I saw you lot on the news the other night. Or, yeah, I saw your CEO at the select committee the other day. And blimey, because that bloke actually even answered his own name truthfully. That was really quite impressive um etc etc they know what we do they they can say that their you know homelessness relief or their law center has had support from major trade unionists and even if you're not in a union this isn't designed to make you feel you know uh, like you're missing missing something by not well i mean you really are missing something by not being in a union you should join one immediately but you can join a renters union you know london renters union is one acorn is another they're, they're all over the place this is the kind of thing we're talking about because you need to get involved in this this work it's it is long it is arduous it is demanding it will involve you standing in the street in the freezing cold in your shorts if you're a madman like some of us are for great periods of time there can be some dark mornings it's going to run into very difficult periods of the year. Uh, your Christmas might be spent feeling utterly miserable and wretched uh, because you can't believe that the CEO was stupid enough to push us all to, to end up having the first strike action in 500 years over a Christmas period. And you might end up being really pissed off because you've got an earworm in your ear that sounds like mistletoe and wine. But nevertheless, you persevere and you plough through these things and you come out of the other side and you will come out of the other side winning. Because there's no other way. We have to, you know, we have, we have this cost of greed crisis. We have climate emergency. You know, I don't use words like emergency and crisis lightly. I mean every syllable. I mean every letter of what they actually mean. This, this is what we're in. You know, food insecurity, housing insecurity, and it has to end as soon as possible. And yes, you've got to ask yourself, and maybe we'll come back to this, Dave. Maybe you've got an answer on this. Um, what it is exactly about this country that you know hates its own working class and why we hate ourselves so much i do wonder i mean i don't know what do you have any thoughts on that uh yeah as i said john um um wade in don't be afraid uh, what, I'm, what i'm seeing even on the mainstream media um and it's a terrible indictment of of society as it, it is today um Let's be clear here. Um, people in very um, influential positions, and so we're talking at the very top, um, pretty much are doing what they want. Um, they don't even hide it, um, and they tell you they tell you what they're going to do, and then they do it, and we swallow it, um, and they do it very publicly. Because you have to do it publicly now. There's too, there's so much media, um, and it's poor. I mean, it's a poor. It's the poorest I've seen, not just politically, but socially, and and you know, and and people have even given up, given up, taking the piss out of people that fight against it. They've even given up on that. You've beaten society to a degree that now you can stand up and under the telly and say, for example, well, I'm not paying my tax because I forgot. Or, uh, or I go to illegal parties. Um, or I killed 50,000 plus people um, due to COVID or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever. Or I'll go to a select committee and lie. Um and nothing will be done about. Or oh, I've made eighty, you know, thousands of people redundant 
and uh, I'm really sorry for doing that, and I'll see you later. Um, it, they don't even hide it anymore, John, you know? And, and, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Certainly in the UK, certainly in the UK, um, I certainly, even if I was a proud flag-waving nationalist, um, I don't think it's nothing to be proud of, to be honest. And there's no wonder the heads of state in the US wouldn't come here for a visit, for a state visit or any other visit. And um, most tourists now go to um, Primark now, in the West End, I've noticed. They don't even bother yeah. going to these posh shops anymore. Uh, it's just, you know... Um, and I just hope that politically and socially we get better. We can't get any worse, John. Can't get any worse, you know. Well, only if we control it. That's what this is about. It's about, I mean, what what I'm really advocating is for people to control their own lives. You know what I mean? This is, this is basic stuff. And you have to do this against, I mean, I don't know if I had enough time to talk about this tonight, but, um, you know, again, I mentioned children earlier, children who are suffering in this situation. But this this group of just scumbags we call a government are just and there's many people in the opposition who are just as bad they are almost unimaginably evil and the particular case i'm i'm referring to is the disappearance of many migrant children and by that you can read refugee children uh, disappearing from the hotels that they've been shoved into in the hope that they would disappear uh, not, I hope that they would just not disappear in, this, in the way they have now, but I mean, as in they would just be out of the way, out of sight, out of mind. You know, people don't have to worry about who are basically being, you know, picked up by by people traffickers, and uh, and they just they disappear. As I said, they, the idea any child would disappear. I mean, blimey, you know, if it's if if she's you know white enough and comes from a family rich and media savvy enough, we'll end up looking for for years and years. But you're talking now about just untold numbers. I'm gonna. We'll include a link in this week's show description from an article um, written by a blogger called Council of State Media, also known as R.D. Hale, who I, I hope to get on the show one day because I really like his writing. Um, and I feel like there's so much I want to say about this, but his article is so good that I think he says absolutely everything in this article, and that there's nothing left for me to to, to really put on on that. I think that's it. But I will say that just. The, the staggering level of inhumanity that you have to apply to basically say, as someone, I'm off the top of my head, I can't remember which conservative MP it was, so I'm not going to say it right now, but uh, to actually stand, say, in Parliament today when this question came up via a, a question from a Labour MP, to say, well, you know, they've disappeared no one knows where they are. We we have evidence to show they're being picked up by people people traffickers and shoved into uh, homes to to manufacture marijuana and etc cetera, etc, cetera, among other things. Uh, to go well, they shouldn't have come here illegally. Uh, if that's your answer, you are one of the most shameful, indecent pieces of human filth that has ever been known. And don't come to me waving your flag, talking about how this country cares so much about the kids. In fact, for that matter, where's the far-right groups? You know, you, uh, one one bloke with slightly dark skin who is supposedly called a Muslim, even though I don't remember the last time he went to a mosque, uh, fucks a young white girl, and all of a sudden, you know, you're out in the streets, sig heiling or trying not to in front of the cameras, and talking about how, you know, our children 
our children are being attacked by this and it's disgusting and all this sort of thing. And, you know, when this is happening, when kids are dying in homes because there's mould or when children are going missing from areas where they're supposed to be safe, as per the Refugee Convention, which whether you like it or not, Britain is signed up to, you're absolutely nowhere to be seen. You're nowhere to be seen outside Catholic churches when various stories of, of years of sexual abuse break around those. You're nowhere to be seen about this. It's kind of like your agenda is just one of pure, unadulterated racism and uh, and typical fascist bullshit, really. So, you know, as I say, I would I would direct you to, to that article because it's it's much more articulate than anything I can say. For one thing, I just found this story so disturbing that I am struggling not to just basically uh, scream abuse at the people who are have allowed it to happen, uh, which is fine. But earlier on, I was talking about productive political power. Uh, that's not going to stop it happening. It might make me feel slightly better, but it's not going to stop it happening. So what's probably better is for us to band together in the ways I've been talking about this evening to actually produce a better, fairer, more decent, more humane place to live in. And I can take out all of my rage and frustration by going for a run. It's a much better way of doing things. Um, I've got a sneaking suspicion, Dave. You asked me a question, and I've gone way off the fucking. No, I just uh, I'm going to go to a bit of seventies humour now. So my wife is not political at all, Um, Mm. although she supports pretty much what I've said, um, and I've dealt, and and she's seen the other side, albeit it took her years. But uh, other other than that, she thought I was rambling. But um, uh, just a bit of seventies humour. the, the, there's an MP with funny hair and it's blatantly a syrup. Alright? That's 70s chalk here. Syrup of figs, wigs. What's his name, John? Michael Pelham is, or something. Is he the one who looks like a Boris tribute act? Yes. Michael Fabricant. That's it. And, and yeah. my missus, um, she'd never seen him before. And uh, we watched the telly and she got really angry and she said, please tell me that that bloke is, it's a comic, com- it's a comedy. I know I'm, I shouldn't say this, it's not very politically correct. I said, no, that's him. So I googled it and I showed her. And 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 she was not laughing. She was angry because she was angry that, that, that he was standing up saying very negative things about working class people and looking like he does. And she got angry. And, do you know, she didn't watch the news for about four weeks afterwards. Because she thought, well, that's just a joke. And then I showed her a clip of, they find one of his colleagues, because he was saying behind him, that's definitely a syrup. And they find him, <laughs> which I found <laughs> really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I mean, that, and, and, that's... And, you know, yeah. that's, that's pretty much politics as it is, isn't it? And, you know, people just look at him and think, you know, and he doesn't actually stand up and say anything positive anyway. It's just very, you know, kill the working class, you know. Yeah. Looking like he does. And I'm sorry if you wear a syrup at the end of the world, but look at him. I'm sure there's, you know, that is a joke. That is a joke. Yeah, anyway. I mean, it, this is the thing, isn't it? That, that the, there's nothing wrong with ripping the piss out of these people. I really tremendously actively encourage it. But do bear in mind that comedy should never take the place of of um serious 
action and that that can be a problem sometimes you laugh at people at your peril uh, see boris johnson don't don't allow the clown to end up getting away with what they get away with and i, I think, think the that, comment, i think comedy's good it's when you talk about ukips and taxi drivers from stuart what's his face well you can't even say you're english anymore um but no it's exactly uh there is that but also the do you know what do you know what one of the funniest things is dave but i've never actually i've not i'm not hiding this but it's just these things don't come up right which is uh, everyone's got this idea of like lefties like me. And I tell you what I don't like in the world of comedy. I don't like, I don't like stuff that isn't funny. That is the biggest crime you can ever commit. If you're not funny, fuck off, quite frankly. And that's what it comes down to. And doing like, you know, fat white blokes doing funny accents of ethnic minorities is, wasn't that funny to begin with. And the idea of you doing it now is even, even worse. That's why I don't like it. However, I have the darkest and probably one of the sickest sense of humors of anyone you would ever know. And if I unleashed it, we'd probably get taken off the air in about 10 minutes. And it'd be yeah, all these right wingers yeah, yeah. complaining. You would not get taken off the air. No, because they can't take us off the air. Yeah, yeah look, I, I have a different view. I have the same views as you, but I, I have a very 70s, 90s, 80s um, sense of humour. Um, so while we're, 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 as I laugh at Bernard Manning, for example, I, I'm able to actually sit down with people of the same view Bernard Manning and having a debate with them, although I have the same attitude as them to a degree. Um, I've represented people that have been sacked. I've had to support families over Christmas, for example. This Christmas, four of four members lost their mums, um, and they live with them. And um, so I, I have to have a social point of view. And remember, I'm an unpaid volunteer, um, and not many people would or could do that and I wouldn't want you to do that so but I still have I still watch Minder I still laugh the kids laugh and think what's dad laughing at these people driving around in these awful cars <laughs> and saying things like syrup but I, at least I'd be able to sit on a level with them and say yeah that's funny but did you know that in the 70s every child had a free school meal that's interesting, isn't it? So, John? Yeah, just a couple of things on that. I mean, firstly, what, I'll tell you what it is. I just like things... I like things to be different, right? I've always liked kind of... I know we're in the closing moments of the show now, so I'll make this quick. I can't wait. We managed to make it last now. Um, I like... I've always liked different culture. I've always liked the kind of out there type stuff. You know, uh, I would... I don't always listen to it, but I would be moderately frequent listener to like Stuart McConey's Freak Zone on on Six Music, that kind of stuff. You know, you know me, Dave. We've had these conversations. I like fairly straight stuff, but I also like. I've always liked cultures a bit out there, and I just want things to be different. And you know, Bernard Manning used to be able to tell the odd good one liner, but then it basically ran. It was like there was a ceiling to how funny someone like that could be, and um, and that was it. And for me to kind of say, regardless of the the terrible, you know, racial stereotypes that are used, which I do have a problem with. Don't get me wrong. It's also just that there came a point where I was just kind of like, well, set up and punchline that don't work for me anymore. I want more out of life than you're willing to, to, to be able to give me. And I feel, I feel like we should get some kind of more detail because we've talked about culture on this show before. You know, We've done entire shows about hip hop and we've done uh, stuff talking about British culture. That's a very quick show, basically. British culture is completely dead. End of story. Has been for, for decades, especially during the 80s and the 90s when it was really killed off. And a good reason for that is basically the exclusion of working class people from every institution imaginable. 
and and very intentionally. Um, so that's that's the real reason why that went down. And now you've got you know pretty little utterly talentless posh boys pretending to be folk bands or pretending to be troubadours wandering around the country or, or pretending to be punk when you went to Eton. And uh, there's, I, I have no time for that shit. Uh, also, not do I not only dislike those people, their music is crap. Um, well, it is. I mean, that's the main thing. But I mean, anyway, so we'll, we'll come back to that some other time. I don't want to be frivolous. I do want to end with this, though. Um, breaking news from the D- GMB union, actually 27 minutes ago, according to Twitter. A majority of Britons are supporting the Amazon strikes. There you go. It's fair. Do you know, this is a rare thing. Do you know what I think is right? What I love this is that you and I, for instance, have had exactly the same positions we've always had on things like unions or whatever. And we've always kept them. We've kept them during the periods when we were unpopular. And now we're in the period where everyone's agreed, agreeing with us, but we never changed. You know what I mean? We, we just uh, it's kept- amazing, isn't it, John? And it's, it's yeah. really interesting you mentioned that, that the narrative that we started in 2017. Mm. Um, it hasn't changed, is it, John? I mean, you're probably thinking, look at those two bloody idiots talking about thing. You know, I think I'm going out for my. Uh, this is terrible. What I was going to suffer. I'll go out for my pine chips. It's so I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I know you want me to say it, John, but I'm not. Uh, I'd just <laughs> say go out for a curry. Um, it, it, um, it hasn't changed, has it, John? It's interesting because oh. I do listen to our shows. And we haven't really changed our narrative. And it's interesting what has changed socially, isn't it, John? It is. It is. And I mean, for all of those years that I made, you know, pretty young girls' eyes glaze over when I started talking about trade unionism in the pub on a Saturday night, you know, for all those years when I would talk to strippers about forming unions, only for them to end up, you know, being unions for them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all that kind of stuff, you know, is. It, we were right then and we're right now. It just took time for everyone else to catch up with us. You know, some people are trendsetters, some people are followers and, uh, and we set the agenda. By the way, what's this, just quickly, what's this headline I'm seeing here? Royal Mail boss Simon Thompson fights for job after MP clash. Yeah, so what's happening is, um, so any, any branded business that's on the stock market um, does not like anything that defamates the share price. Because, folks, that's what we're all about now. You well, live and do catch up with you because you decimated it fucking months ago. Yeah, you, anything that you do in life now um, is judged by a share price, whether it be a pint of milk or the leader of British Gas or whatever, uh, unless you're a Middle East country, um, which you pretty, pretty, pretty much control everything. But when you're in the market, it's a stock market, you live and die by the... Um, share price unfortunately that's the way we live since 1986 and the financial globalization uh in the uk everything is judged by the share price which when it when we were sold that idea we weren't told that um and i think the younger people kind of waking up to it now john yeah yeah i mean i do, I, I don't have anything to add to that and i'm, I'm eating into your show now which is you know it, at 20 past seven, I was reading out what I wanted to say this week. And I was thinking, shit, I've not prepared enough work. I'm not going to, you know, I'm really, I'm slowing my words down. I was worrying about that. John, and if we go by our I narrative managed... of, of 2017, we could just not have a script at all. We could just go with it. Just Yeah, I know. But and it's especially not, it's it's not... now we could pluck something out of the air, couldn't we? It's true. I mean, we could do that, but I don't like to do it because I don't think I'm very good at improvising. I, I prefer to have at least some kind of guide. Um, the truth of the, the sad truth of the matter is that despite doing this for, for 
these years, you'll never actually catch me at my best because I'm only ever at my best when there's no microphone in front of me. It's uh, it just kind of comes out of out of nowhere, out of rage and frustration, sleeplessness, and dabbling in in you know prescription drugs, and then suddenly I I, I just turn into this this beast. And sadly, there's never a microphone handy uh, to record it all down, um, except for a handful of really garbled messages on my knackered old mobile phone which i i must make a note of this and then can't actually hear it because i was halfway down oxford street or whatever at the time um yeah it's it's just but as i say i just can't believe it. from after this i'm still i'm still crashing into your show um so we will go out oh obviously uh good old zara sultana was on the picket line today with with the uh the good folks um at amazon uh as ever my uh my future wife if i was 20 years younger um Yes. Well, she's, yeah, she's brilliant in so many ways. In so many ways. She's wonderful. Um, well, but Ash, yeah. Ash will be jealous, won't she? Ash, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pop her an email say, he's betrayed you, love. <laughs> <laughs> None of these people know who I am. Uh, God bless you. <laughs> so, anyway, just in closing, just a shout out again, yeah, to um, Council of State Media. Uh, you've written the best article on this on this issue so far, and uh, we'd love to have you on the show. I, I like your work very much. I'd love to talk to you about stuff. And uh, other than that, we should be back with you next week, I think. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, well, John, which, as I said, we could replay a show from 2017, and it would still be relevant today. In fact, it would be so relevant, um, it would, would be relevant because it would be a lot worse in 2017. Yes. Yeah. Just bear that in mind on your closing thoughts, John. Yes, you're absolutely right. The time to fight back against these things is long, long overdue. And, uh, you know, it can. I understand it can be overwhelming because we have to fight absolutely everything on every single front. That That is true. But... Uh, it will only get gradually, you know, as I've just pointed out that, that, that Dave and I have been right about these things for so long. Well, if I'm right, listen to me now, you know, take away the arrogance of me saying that this is based on facts. You know, listen to me now, everything gets worse. The longer you leave it, every situation gets worse, the more you don't fight it. So it's got so bad to the point now where the, the, the world is on the precipice of, of, of destruction. So unless we turn around and start doing something about it now, then it really will be too late. I'm very sorry that I'm <clears throat> I can't end on a on an upbeat and, and funny note. But you know, I'm an old man. I'm I don't do the cool funny podcast that the young people do. I just listen to them and, and seethe with jealousy at my inabilities. But uh yeah, you know, start trust me, fighting these things is so much easier than than you imagine. And you know what? At the risk of being a little bit cheesy, and I think maybe you can back me up on this, Dave. Um the whole like the, the thing of solidarity is i don't want to be cringy about this but until you've experienced it you just don't know you know sometimes people say hey you know the people we're fighting you know they've got all of the money and they've got the media and they've got the uh the social position but you know we've got each other and you can look at that and go yeah actually we could probably rather have their media power and, and money but actually no i wouldn't because until you've experienced solidarity in its rawest most brutal but most beautiful forms you, you've not lived. You don't know what it is. It is the most wondrous thing to know that you're not isolated and alone in fighting, no matter how hard uh, the fight is. So get in the fight and, and let's go. Was that an alarm just went off, Dave, telling me to be quiet? Or <laughs> Anyway, thanks a lot, folks. See you next week.
Uh, yes, uh, John, uh, many thanks. Um, it's okay, you can always go into my show, John. It's okay, were you, bu- were you buzzing me off things? I thought that's... I suddenly no, it's my printer, way. because I'm, I'm, I'm constantly talking... Our day as trade union is, is, is so 100 miles an hour. Um, Especially yours. Yeah, so we're printing, applying, processing, advising, comforting, mentally supporting, and then we got Trax FM as well. Um, but it's okay. We're all right. We're good. I'm happy. I go to sleep well at night. Sometimes. Not always. You have to tell me the secret of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's tough. Uh, but it, for people like yourself that put up with day-to-day stuff, Jim, um, somewhere, someone, somehow, they um, thank you. So, And thank you from Tracks FM. And we'll catch up next week, Johnny Boy. We will. For God's sake, give these people some nice music to listen to. They've suffered so much in this last hour. Oh, just on that, um, the BBC um, Chuck D Hip Hop History. Yes. Um, Just on that. um, So your thought on that, because it's much more historical in regards to American politics rather than the music, to be fair. Okay. Can you please ask me about that next week? Because I haven't seen it yet. I I was out Saturday night, and I believe it or not, world. Um, well, all, all four all four episodes are on BBC iPlayer. But he, he made a statement, John. Yeah. <clears throat> when he said the Black Lives Matter march um, in 2020 was hip hop, which I thought was yeah. an amazing statement. Oh yeah, no, it definitely is. It definitely uh, it is has been. Um, yeah. Uh, that has definitely taken place, and and that is what. And look, that's just in closing. I mean, that is why culture is so powerful. This is why you know I can't stand culture wars, but at the same time, you know they are the they are the thing that politicised me. The very first thing I ever got involved with as a teenager was my dislike of censorship, as a fan of of, of uh, hip hop and as a fan of films that you know teenagers like me at that time probably shouldn't have been watching. Um, I know, to be honest, that's absolute bollocks because I haven't you know, so much as punched anyone in the face since I was a child. So I don't think I, they turned me into watching Reservoir Dogs didn't turn me into a violent person. Um, however, you know, they, they do understand the power of that. And one of the powers that culture has is to give a voice to the voiceless. And that is why they suppress it so hard. You know, um, I think Ice T was, was, was legitimately afraid for his life when this fury over cop killer was taking place. And and I can understand. Killer was a was a heavy metal record. Yeah, yeah, but but again, heavy metal and rap have have. Yeah, oh, um, yeah there are pa- there are parallels there for sure. But it's interesting. Watch yeah. it, John, because he he says uh, the yeah. Black Lives Matter march in New York in 2020 was hip hop. Yeah, then it, I, I then, think that's then true. It starts off like that, and then it shows, you know, the historical the history versus hip hop. And how hip hop became a sort of protest, um, mm. but then it. Listen, John, you. I don't need to tell you that records like "Fight Their Power" just changed everything, didn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. They changed the the minds of people, and that, and that is the power that can happen. That's how it can happen. It doesn't. Listen, culture's never going to. Uh, you know, telling a joke, making a film, or making a record is never going to change anything, but it is going to start things. It's going to start in people's minds, the idea that you can change things. 
and that's why they try to suppress it. And the idea of, I think, um, black liberation, firstly, black liberation in America has always run in tandem with the music and, uh, and, and that part of wider culture, um, or even kind of cultural institutions like, like the church and, and places where, places where people meet, you know, where do people meet? They meet at music concerts, they meet in, in churches and community groups, they meet trying to, you know, relieve the suffering of, of the poverty around them, etc. So obviously that's somewhere where it's going to take place. But the, the power of music and, um, public enemy are, are, are very good example uh even all these many many years later because i never got to see them the first time around when i've been to see them play uh brixton academy and play the it takes a nation of millions album uh, or fear of a black planet at the um at the roundhouse they the, the power is astonishing the power of that is is deeply astonishing again anyone who's been to live music you'll understand what i mean no matter what the genre it is that raw you know raw unguarded strength and emotion and unity of purpose and when you see injustices i mean you know the injustices of of america's class and race system were brought to my teenage mind by hip-hop so that's why i I just from personal experience alone i have to completely agree with chuck d on that 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 black lives matter you know hip-hop is absolutely fundamental to that because of its power and i think you need someone who understands more of the specific ins and outs and history of music in order to uh, uh give you like a timeline of that but again again mixing you know the mixing genres uh because it gave us rage against the machine and many of the terrible bands that came after that but but that, they were great you know uh, and stuff like that but it's I know, this feel this feels like a totally different show so i should probably well just because in the documentary and if you watch it john um, it was actually re-released in 2021 with new rappers, mm. um, and it was so relevant as it was in '88. It was so relevant to the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. Um, I'm not a massive fan of Black Lives Matter. I'm not, um, but I understand the rationale for it, and I understand Chuck D's, and he is influential to me. That the Black Lives Matter was a very similar if not the same statement as hip hop which hip hop in the 80s the early 80s the message and things like that yeah um it it's it, so relevant John so relevant. well it was it, it was a format to talk about i mean you've just picked a very good example of that song to talk about your real life it was a format to talk about poverty and racism and uh and to suggest ideas of fighting back again one of the reasons why it was so suppressed because you can be outspoken a bit like we're talking about on this show you know i joked earlier on about getting taken off the air but like you said nobody can take us off the air and when they you wouldn't have that dare. Kind of power no they wouldn't dare they've tried a few times um, uh, well that's just that's my conspiracy well, about well, the fucking Pac- my microphone Pac- pacman's in the um chat room and he would know with the struggles we went through but as as, as he would know Anyway, listen, I've got a show to do, John. <laughs> you do, mate. You've, as I said, these poor people, you need to play them some lovely music. Um, Nothing from the 90s. But we'll catch up next week. I thought I'd just play this out for for um, because we were talking about it. Um, well, I just any excuse to play it. And, John, we'll catch up next week. Yeah, lovely. Thanks a lot, man. It's been a great show this week. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Johnny. See you, mate. Bye. All the Rage with John Bowd. www.tracksfm.org
Yo, check this out, man. Straight. 